0: If you would, please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 136. We're going to be taking a break from our our normal series that we've been going through uh, the past couple of months, which is Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we're going to be focusing our time in Psalm 136. So if you would, let's read this psalm together. If you are visiting this morning and you'd like to read along with me and the translation that I'm reading from, you can take the Pew Bible that's right in front of you, which is the ESV, and you can follow along there if you'd like. Psalm 136. Hear the Word of the Lord. The psalmist writes, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, For his steadfast love endures forever to Him who made the great lights, for His steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for His steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for His steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To Him who led His people through the wilderness. For His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who struck down great kings. For His steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. For His steadfast love endures forever. Sion king of the Amorites. For His steadfast love endures forever. And Ah king of Bashan. For His steadfast love endures forever and gave their land as a heritage, for His steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel His servant, for His steadfast love endures forever. It is He who remembered us in our low estate, for His steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes, for His steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, our God in heaven, yes, Lord, Your steadfast love does indeed endure forever. and. We come before You now as Your Word is opened before us and we ask and we pray that You would help us as we walk through it together. Father, may You be with me. May You fill me with Your Holy Spirit as I seek to lead Your people through Psalm 136 and what You have for us to see here, what the psalmist is doing, and how it shows us the Lord Jesus Christ shining forth in all His glory. Father, may You be with those who are sitting Before me as well, may You fill them with Your Spirit. May You give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive Your Word with glad hearts, with joy, Father, I pray. And Father, every week, as we normally ask, may Your Word accomplish its purposes here this morning. May it humble the proud. May it strengthen the weak. May it bring back the one who may be wandering The one who may be looking out at the world and thinking to themselves, Oh Lord, it looks so good. May You bring them back. May You bring them back to the glory of Your Son. And finally, Father, may Your Word save the lost. Those who may not know Your Son, who may not know the the goodness, the glory, the joy that is found in Christ. May You save them through the power of the Gospel. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing that you probably noticed as we were reading through this psalm together is the repetitiveness of the psalm. As we were reading through it over and over and over and over again, the psalmist says, "...for His steadfast love endures forever," referring to God's steadfast love. That's probably the first thing that you noticed in reading through this psalm. And the reason why this psalm is so repetitive like it is is because it's known as an antiphonal psalm. And by antiphonal, what I mean is that it's a responsive psalm. So originally, when the people of Israel were to sing this psalm together, it would go something like this. You would have a priest or a group of priests say one line. For example, they would say, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And then you would have another group, maybe a choir or the whole congregation, and they would respond. For His steadfast love endures forever. And so it would go on and on, back and forth for 26 verses. That's how many times that He repeats for His steadfast love endures forever. He repeats it 26 times. And so you need to ingrain that in your mind because it's important, and we'll see why in a moment. So this is something that makes the psalm very unique. Its repetitiveness, how it was sung in its original context among the people of Israel, being an antiphonal psalm. Unfortunately, the very reason or the very thing that makes this psalm so unique, what I just described to you, its repetitiveness, also tends to make us today in our context just kind of skim through the psalm. My, I've been guilty of this uh, very early on in my Christian life whenever I first set out to read through the, the whole Bible in a year going through a Bible plan for the first time. And when it came time to to read this psalm for the day as my scheduled reading, I came to Psalm 136. I read the psalm, and 26 verses later, I found myself thinking, my goodness, that was repetitive. You know, my goodness, he says the same thing over and over and over again. And I thought, you know, after reading the psalm initially, I thought that it was interesting, I thought it was cool what the, the psalmist was doing. But overall, I, just, I came to it, I saw initially that it was going to be repetitive, that he was going to be saying the same thing over and over again. And so what I did is, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention. I didn't slow down, I didn't ask good questions whenever I was going through it, like, why is he so repetitive? And why does he mention specifically that God's steadfast love endures over and over again? I didn't ask those questions. I just skimmed through it very quickly. And yes, I I thought that it was interesting and I got something out of it. But I failed to see the glory that the Lord has for me here. And also that He has for you as the people of God. So this morning, as we look together at Psalm 136, what I want us to do is I want us to slow down as we walk through this psalm together. I want us to slow down and consider why He does what He does. And ask questions like, why is He so repetitive? Why does He choose the words that He does as He goes through the psalm? So that's that's what I want us to do. Let's slow down and see what the psalmist is doing, and see the glory that the Lord has for us here, and what it means for us today in in our context. So first I want you to look with me to verses 1, 2, 3, and then verse 26. Because in verses 1 to 3, and then in verse 26, it is here that we see the main point of the psalm. In these verses, we see why the psalmist is writing in the first place. So look look down with me at verses 1 to 3. And what do you see at the beginning of those three verses? How does he begin those three verses? He begins with, give thanks, right? Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to... the God of gods, give thanks to the Lord of lords. And then if you were to look down or to flip over to verse 26, again you would see that the psalmist closes the psalm by saying, give thanks. So he opens the psalm and he also closes the psalm by saying, give thanks. So you see, first off, by looking at that, that his main point is that he is calling you, people of God, to give thanks to the Lord. And ultimately, God, who inspires this Word, who speaks through this Word, it being His words, He is calling you to give thanks to Him. That's the point of this song. Give thanks to the Lord. And this is where the phrase, for His steadfast love endures forever, comes in. Because you are to give thanks to the Lord because... His steadfast love endures forever. And now this is where the repetitiveness of the psalm comes in. And this is why the psalm is really awesome. So its point is to call us to give thanks because God's steadfast love endures forever. Also, if you were to look at the repetitiveness, each verse of the psalm, the psalmist names something different about God in each verse. And so what you have here, what we begin to see, is that our thanksgiving, our praise, our worship is not only grounded in God's steadfast love enduring forever in some broad sense, but it's grounded in specific things. Our praise, our worship, our thanksgiving to God is rooted and grounded in who God is and what God has done, which is how the psalmist breaks the psalm down. In verses 1 to 3, he's concentrating on who God is in those three verses. And then in verses 4, all the way down to verse 25, he's concentrating there on the works of God, what God has done. And so that's how we're going to to handle the psalm. Who God is, how He has revealed Himself to His people, and then what God has done, the works that He has revealed to His people. And then in verse 26, the psalmist is going to close with his final call to to give thanks for everything that He has shown us so far. And also, two things that I want you to keep in mind as we go through the psalm in this way. So I'm going to to handle the psalm in a way that I want to show you what the Israelites in their day, when they were singing this psalm, when they were giving thanks, what they would have had in their minds and in their hearts and which would have overflowed in their worship. So the original context, what would have been going on in their minds, in their hearts. But, although we can give thanks to God for those things, originally what they praised God for, we are called to give praise to God in a different way, right? Being on the New Testament side of things. Because we're we're called to give thanks to God through Jesus Christ and what He has done through Him, how God has revealed Himself in Christ and what He has done through Christ. So we'll go through it in that original way, how they would have worshipped, and then we'll go back through it and see what we should be thinking and how we should be praising God through what He has done in Christ. And then also keep in mind, as I mentioned a moment ago, that as we walk through these things, the psalmist is putting on display... What true worship looks like. What true worship looks like. What our worship should look like. How it should be informed. And what it should be fueled by. So these are some of the things that we're going to be seeing as we we go through the psalm together. Now the first thing I want to handle as as we walk through it is the phrase steadfast love. Because as we mentioned a moment ago, and as you can obviously see, the phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever, is very important to the psalmist. Now why? Why is it so important? Why is this phrase so important that he repeats it 26 times? Well, turn with me to Exodus chapter 34 and you will see why this phrase is so crucial and our worship to God. Exodus chapter 34. Most of you, mainly members of Ald's chapel, you should be familiar with this passage because we, we mention it often, we go to it often, I reference it often. So for most of you, this should be familiar. And saw in excuse me, in Exodus chapter 34, what's going on here? Is that Moses has just pleaded to God and asked him for him to, for God to show him his glory. God, please show me your glory. And God says that he will. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And as he makes his goodness pass before Moses, this is what he says, beginning in verse four of Exodus chapter 34. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there, stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So he's showing Moses his glory now. So God, what does your glory look like? And he describes it as his goodness. So what does your goodness look like? How do you define it? The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and what? What does He say next? And abounding in steadfast love. The same phrase that's repeated over and over again here in Psalm 136. Moses cried out to God and he wanted to see His glory. He wanted to, to know and to behold the glory of God. And God reveals it to him by saying, The Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. So the Israelites, in singing this, would have that in mind as they sang this psalm to God. This would have been informing and fueling their praise to God. How God had revealed Himself in that moment to Moses long ago in the book of Exodus. So that is why this, that phrase is so crucial to the psalm, and also not only to this psalm, but... It's all over the Old Testament and specifically in the Psalms. It's all over the place because of how God had revealed Himself to Moses in that way. Now let's look at verses 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3 and what the psalmist is doing there. And you could summarize this as give thanks for who God is, how God has revealed Himself to His people. And the first thing that you see here in these verses is that the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, right there in verse one. I want you to pause for a moment on the name that is described to God there. He says, give thanks to the Lord. And it's in all caps. The reason why it's in all caps, again, Alt's Chapel, you should be familiar with this. The reason why the Lord's name is in all caps there is because it refers back to Exodus chapter 8, where God had revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses had asked what God's name was, because you remember, God had told Moses to go into Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let his people go, and Moses thought to himself, well, what if they ask me what your name is? What what should I tell them? And God told him, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. Well, when you see the word or the name LORD in all caps, that's what it's referring back to. It's translated in all caps because when you see it, I am who I am is put on display there. And so again, this is something that the Israelites would have had in their minds as they sang this psalm to the Lord. They would have been thinking of this God, right? Not some you know, run-of-the-mill idol crafted out of wood and stone which the nation of Israel was surrounded by in their day. No, the psalmist is being specific. Give thanks to the Lord. The great I am. We give thanks to this God. Not all these other so called gods, idols. We give thanks to the Lord, the great I am, for He is good. The psalmist says that He is good. Our God, Alt Chapel, is a good and gracious God. This is something that defines Him. He is good. And so He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our thanks. And then in verses 2 and 3, the psalmist shows that the Lord is supreme over all things by saying, give thanks to the God of gods. And and also, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Now by saying that, he's not implying that there are such a thing as other gods. He doesn't mean that. What he's saying is, referring back to what I mentioned a moment ago, that the Lord, the God of Israel, He is God over all. All of these nations who claim to have gods, our God rules over them all. And a good example of this is what God did in Egypt. When He brought the people out from Exodus, what did He do? He sent out ten plagues that made a mockery of all the gods of Egypt. Each plague plague went right up against something that one of the Egyptian gods stood for. God made a mockery of all of those so-called gods that Egypt had at the time. And also if you look through the Old Testament, God again and again shows that He alone is the Lord. He alone is God overall. And this is what the psalmist is saying here when he says God of gods and Lord of lords, our God, O Israel. He is supreme over all. And so this informs their worship and fuels their praise because this is how God has revealed Himself to His people. He has revealed Himself as good and He has revealed Himself as supreme over all things. The next section Verses 4 to 25, give thanks for what God has done, focusing on the works of God, how He has made Himself known through His works. And as we go through these verses, the psalmist really breaks these things down into three parts. In verses 4 to 9, he focuses on creation, what God has done in creation. In verses 10 to 16, the psalmist focuses on the Lord's deliverance of His people from Egypt, referring to the Exodus. And then in verses 17 to 25, he focuses on the protection and the provision that God has provided or done for His people. And then in verse... well, excuse me... Not verse 26, plus verse 26 we'll get to as the, the final concluding verse. But so that, those are the three ways that he breaks down the works of God here. So let, let's walk through them in that way. So first, the, the creation works of God. He says in verse 4, and I'm just going to, to go through these quickly, "...to Him who alone does great wonders." who by His understanding made the heavens, who, who spread out the earth above the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. Every single one of these things has early Genesis language going on here. When God laid out all things, when He created all things. This is what the psalmist is referencing here. God's works in creation. Our Lord, He is the one who has created all things. So again, this is something that informs and fuels our worship. This is something that they had in mind as they sang praises to their God, when they sang this psalm. Our God, He is the one who has created all things. He is the God of all creation. And then verses 10 to 16 the Lord's deliverance of His people. The Lord, He is the one who has delivered His people from Egypt. He is the one who has redeemed Israel from the slavery they, that they were in. He says to Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, referring to the final plague that God laid on the Egyptians, who brought out Israel from among from among them, with a strong hand and outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness. All of these things God did, put His works on display whenever He brought His people out from Egypt, when He redeemed them from their slavery." And then, finally, in verses 17 to 25, God's protection and His provision, past and present. Verses 17 to 22 being the the past protection and and provision for His people. He he struck down great kings. He killed mighty kings. And He names some of them. Then He refers to God... Giving their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. These are things that God had did for, had done for Israel in the past. When He brought them out of Egypt, He provided for them. He perfect, He protected them as they wandered through the wilderness, and then He gave them their land as He promised that He would. And then in the present, a, a present situation or circumstance that we're not really sure was going on at the time. In verses twenty three. 25, it says, It is He, this God, the Lord, who remembered us in our lowest state. So not only has He done all these things in the past that He just referred to, but He is currently still doing them. He is still providing. He is still protecting His people. He has remembered us in our lowest state. He has rescued us from our foes. It is He who gives food to all flesh. And so these things would have informed and fueled the Israelites' worship, their praise as they sang this psalm to God. So do you see what's going on here. You see what the psalmist is doing. When the Israelites gathered together in their assembly to give praise to God, they weren't just going around and singing random praises, in whichever way they wanted to. They weren't doing random acts of worship. No, it was all informed and it was all fueled according to how God had revealed Himself to His people through His Word and the works that He had done for them. It was grounded in the truth of God. Now, we come to the end of the original context of how they would have praised God in their day, and we say, Amen. We praise God for these things as well, right? When we read our Bibles, when we read through the Old Testament, we see all of these great acts of God, and we say, Amen, praise God. Give thanks to God, for His steadfast love does indeed endure forever. But Christian, we can't simply leave it At that, because think of it this way, if a Jewish person was here gathered among us today, they would say amen to all of those things that I just said. But what some of them do not like and in fact hate is how we as Christians are called to worship and give thanks to God on the New Testament side of things, which is through the Lord Jesus Christ. God revealing Himself ultimately through His Son, the Word made flesh, right? And His works that we see in Christ. So we need to make sure that not only do we praise God for those things that we just saw, but also that we are praising God in a way that's pleasing to Him since He has sent His Son. Praising our God, giving thanks to Him, how He has revealed Himself through Christ and what He has done in Him. So that's what I want to, to look at now. If in the spirit of Luke chapter 24, where Jesus Christ takes the two disciples to the side, whenever they're walking down the, the road to Emmaus, He takes them aside and he shows them how all of the Old Testament testifies to him. You know, he sits there, he reasons with them, he shows them how the Old Testament's all about him. So in the spirit of Luke 24, let's look at how this points us to Christ. So if Jesus was here with us this morning, and if we were on the road to Emmaus, you know, in that sense, and he was showing us how to praise him, through Psalm 136, what would He show us? Well, let's look and see. So let's go back through it all over again. Look back down with me to verses 1 to 3. So again, what we saw here is that the psalmist is focusing on who God is. All of these things show us who God is, how He has revealed Himself. How do we see Christ here? Go back to the the name Lord that is used. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. You remember that this is a defining moment for the people of God in the Old Testament. God revealed His character to His people. Well, who else have you seen claim that name for Himself? Jesus Christ, right? John chapter 8, turn there with me. John chapter 8, verse 58. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and as they usually are, they're going back and forth. The Pharisees are disagreeing with something that Jesus says. And then you come to verse 58, and he says this. He tells them, Well, I'm going to begin in verse 56, He says to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see My day. So the Pharisees love to bring up Father Abraham, right? You know, we have Abraham as our father. Well, Jesus has just told them that, yeah, he longed to see My day. Well, they got a big problem with that. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see My day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews, the Pharisees, they they say to Him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... And what does He say? I am. Referring back to the title that we see here in Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, that defining moment where God revealed Himself to His people, His character, what He is like. Well, we've seen so much more, right? When God revealed Himself to Moses in that way, there was so much between, there was a lot of things that were between God and Moses. God couldn't stand in the presence of God as He revealed Himself to Moses. But in John chapter 8, you have God in the flesh, the Word made flesh, sitting there, revealing Himself to His people, saying, I am this God. I am the I Am. He is revealing Himself fully and exhaustively in the person of Christ. When you see Jesus Christ, You see God. Turn with me also to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Because the author of Hebrews, he also says this as well. Verse 3 of chapter 1, the author of Hebrew writes He, speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. When you see Christ, you are looking at the face of God. You see the fullness of God dwelling in the person of Christ. God has ultimately revealed Himself to His people in the person of the Lord Jesus Also, not only is Jesus the the fullness of God made flesh, Jesus Christ is also supreme over all things. This is referencing verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 136, where the psalmist says, Give thanks to the God of gods and the Lord of lords, referring to God's supremacy there. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Was the New Testament tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ and His supremacy? Philippians 2, beginning in verse 9, Paul writes of the Lord Jesus Christ and His supremacy, and he says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him, referring to Christ, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. And now verses 4 to 25, the works of God put on display. And so in verses 4 to 9 we saw that there... The psalmist was focusing on how God has created all things. Well, we know from the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the one who put this, who actually did the work. So God created all things through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to see that, I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Excuse me, not, uh, not verse 3, verse 15, I'm sorry. Paul writes in Colossians of Jesus Christ, he says, He is the image of the invisible God. Also referring back to God, or the Lord Jesus Christ imaging God perfectly. He is the image of the invisible God. When you look at Christ, you see God. You see that here in Colossians. And then he continues to say, The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, has created all things. So whenever we praise our God, We praise God for His creation through Christ, right? We give thanks to God for everything that we see because He has created through His Son, which is something they did not know at the time. Also going back to verses 1 to 3, the Israelites didn't know all that we know now. Yes, they knew that God had revealed Himself through His Word, but they didn't know ultimately that He was going to do that through the person and work of His Son. Now, verses 10 to 16, where the psalmist is focusing on the Lord's deliverance of his people, delivering them from the slavery of Egypt. What slavery have we been delivered from? The ultimate slavery, right? We haven't been delivered from a literal slavery underneath. Egypt or literal slavery underneath people but we have been delivered from the slavery of sin and death and so turn with me there back again to Colossians if you're still there verses 15 to 16 13 and 14 excuse me verses 15 and 16 are the ones that we just looked at so verses 13 and 14 Paul talking about the slavery that we have been Delivered from, He says, He, referencing Jesus Christ, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we have not been delivered from a physical bondage. We have been delivered from... The spiritual bondage. We've been delivered from sin and death and we've been given new life through what Christ has done, through what God has done through His Son. And then the final section, verses 17 to 25, where the psalmist is focusing on the Lord protecting and providing for His people. And there I want to go to Romans chapter 8. Because in Christ, God has given us the, the ultimate protection, which is spiritual. I mean, yes, even though you're a Christian and you're in Christ, your body can still be killed, it can still be harmed, you can still suffer bodily, but ultimately, what can man do to you? Because if they kill you, all they do is they hasten your fellowship with God because you then go and dwell with Him in His presence for all eternity. So through Christ, God has given the ultimate protection and He's also provided for us in the greatest of all ways, which is not physical things, it's not food, like some of the things that the psalmist names off in Psalm 136, which are good things, But ultimately, those things will not last, right? You need food every day. You need it again and again and again. And it does not last. Your your possessions. Yes, it's good that God provides those things for you, but ultimately, what you need is something so much more. And He has provided that for you in Christ. And Paul makes that... Very clear in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. This wonderful promise that we have here. Beginning in verse 31, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things, speaking about all that God has done for us in Christ? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? The provision there. In Christ, God has provided for you all things. All things are yours in Christ. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword... In Christ, nothing or no one can separate you from God. In providing His Son, in making Himself known through His Son, in the works that He accomplished, you have the ultimate provision and you have the ultimate protection provided for you in Christ. So, Christians... Alts Chapel, Bible Church. Is this what our worship looks like when we when we come together as a church? Like this morning when we were just singing a moment ago, singing those great hymns, the power of the cross, Jesus paid it all. We will glorify. My hope is in the Lord. What do you have in your mind and what do you have on your heart when you sing those songs? Is it first and foremost informed by how God has revealed Himself not only in the great works in the Old Testament and how He revealed Himself to Moses and those great displays of His glory, but is it informed on how He has revealed Himself ultimately in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? And is our praise fueled by that truth as well? When we sing praises to God, is that what's on our mind and in our hearts? Thinking about who God is in Christ and what He has done and accomplished for us in Him. Is that on your mind and in your heart when you praise God as we gather together in the church? Is that what your praise and what your thanksgiving looks like on your own? When, when you give thanks to God and when you praise Him when you're by yourself, which hopefully I, I pray that you do. pray the only time that you give thanks to God is not when you're here. But what personally, personally, what is your praise and your thanksgiving to God informed by Is it informed and fueled by who you think God is? Who you like to think God is? Or is it informed and fueled by how He has revealed Himself to you in His Son through His Word, the the written Word that we have, the Bible, and His works that that He has put on display there? Now the last... Piece of application that I want to give before we close is for those who may not be a Christian. If you are not a Christian, we have just been looking at together how we are called to, to give thanks to God, right? We are to give thanks to God according to the truth of God, how He's revealed Himself and through His works. Well, I want you to turn with me back to, to Exodus chapter 34. Because yes, God is a God of steadfast love, which abounds to generation after generation after generation. And indeed, we see it continually abounding today in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately abounding in His Son. But let's finish the passage of how He reveals Himself to Moses. So diving back in, look down with me at verse 5. So the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Him and He proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Those are some of the things that we just got through looking at. Oh, those wondrous and marvelous truths that we see culminate in Christ. But what does he say next? But who will by no means... Clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father, on the fathers, on the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So, our God, yes, He is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And He loves to shower His love on those who cling to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and give thanks to Him through Christ. But if you reject Christ, if you do not give thanks to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, then He will not pour out His steadfast love on you. Instead, what He's going to pour out is His His justice, His wrath, which is what you deserve if you reject Christ. So may we... Be sure, like the psalmist lays out here in Psalm 136, that when we give thanks to our God, we give thanks rightly, according to the truth of God. That we pour out our praise through the Lord Jesus Christ. Like he says in verse 26 where he closes, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. Indeed it does, and I pray that you, that you cling to Christ and that you know that steadfast love. Let's pray. Father, we come before You and we thank You for Psalm 136. We thank You that You reveal to us who You are, Your character, what You are like, and also that You put all of this on display through Your works. Ultimately in Christ. So Father, may we, Your people, as a church, when we gather together as in, and as individuals, when we pour out our thanks to You, may it be informed and may it be fueled by the truth of who You are in Christ and what You have accomplished through Him. And I also pray for those who may not know Your Son, Lord. May You draw them to Yourself. May You draw them to Your Son. And may they know the goodness, the mercy, and the forgiveness that is found in Him. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.